Hello and welcome to Red Shirts. I'm Jake Donaldson. Uh, this is a podcast about Star Trek. You're joined by me and my two spacey friends, Maddie Wormhole Churchhouse and Nathan Whole Worm Thomas. <laughs> Without further ado, let's engage. Oh my god. out it's whole worm with a w so it's like entire worm rather than a worm that lives in a hole but uh but you know you can take it either way uh so we're here it's part two of our special where we're looking at the Kelvinverse star trek 2008 film uh we got we got up in the last episode to the point where kirk had been abandoned on a snowy planet Delta Vega, Hoth 2.0, yeah, Uh, and he was just about to meet Ambassador Spock from the Prime Universe, uh, who he'd found in a cave, and that's where we were up to, so uh, shall we start with uh, our patented Nathan Thomas describes the plot uh, segment uh, for the second half of the film. Okay, so... Exactly. Spock Spock runs into um, old Spock after a chase with some monsters. Um, If you haven't watched the last episode or for some reason only watched half a film, this is going to sound very odd. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, uh, runs into old Spock. Um, Old Spock and Kirk then um, meet with Scotty nearby. Um, and Spock explains uh, after Scotty's adorable interruption, uh, interruption? introduction, um, Spock explains to Scotty that transport beaming is possible because Scotty will invent it. Um, <laughs> classic Star Trek time travel nonsense. Um, uh, they put in the equation and after a brief bit of jeopardy, um, Kirk starts acting on old Spock's advice and is a dick to Spock to prove a point to Kelvin versus Spock. Uh, Spock beats the crap out of him in response and realises he is emotionally compromised. The best Um, moment of my life. uh, The crew then decide to engage Nero and um, steal back the jellyfish using transport beaming because he won't expect that. Um, Spock and Ahura do some brief making out before that. Whoop, whoop. Um, and Kirk finally learns Ahura's first name. Uh, they have a fight on the Narada, and uh, Spock begins to command the jellyfish and notes that Jim has not been entirely honest with him. Um, uh, Nero uh, starts to strangle some people, and uh, <laughs> Spock, Spock starts going absolutely to town on the enemy shooting down a bunch of missiles and stuff. Um, Nero starts to become obsessed with Spock. I want Spock dead now! Yeah, he starts (laughs) shooting at at him a lot. Uh, Kirk escapes, rescues Pike as the Enterprise rescues Spock. Um, Scotty uh, beams three people from two targets onto one pad and no one is suitably impressed. Uh, (laughs) By this point, uh, there is a wormhole emerging in the centre of Nero's ship. He is a ship in great distress. So uh, Kirk opens the channel and offers him aid. 
he says he'd rather die, so Kirk makes that happen. Uh, <laughs> uh, always an obliging host. <laughs> the Enterprise is stuck in a gravity well and struggles to escape, but ultimately some good old-fashioned core ejecting uh, gets us free. Um, Spock then meets Spock, and they uh, wish each other good luck, because their usual greeting would be somewhat self-serving. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Assembly gives Kirk a medal, but it's basically not warranted. Uh, <laughs> at, least, at the very least, I feel like if you're giving Kirk a medal, there are a lot of other people on that ship that should get the same medal, or like even a better medal. Yeah. Um, the real hero out, of the film, uh, Sulu. Yeah. <laughs> if Sulu Spock. hadn't forgotten to leave the parking brake on, they'd all be fucking dead. So that everyone, true, big yeah. up Admiral Sulu, the true legend of this film. Uh, yeah, and Spock applies to be first officer. Um, Lovely stuff. Uh, where, where, do, where do you want to start then with, with this episode? Uh, we did a lot. We went through all of the characters last episode, really, in the casting. Well, there so. is one. There is one that we didn't because he didn't come in yet, which is Scotty. Scotty, Scotty is great. Yeah. Scotty is Scotty, great. I love that. Do you, do you have any sandwiches? It's just uh, like, <laughs> yeah. You're from the future? Oh, that's great. Do you still have though? sandwiches there? <laughs> It's great. <laughs> when they Played when they beam well. back into the bridge, and then Spock's like, "How did you get aboard this ship?" And then Jim's like, "You're the genius. You tell me." And then he's like, "Scotty." <laughs> Spock turns to Scott. He's like, "I'm ordering you to tell me how you got on this ship." And Scotty's like, "I'd I'd rather not take sides." <laughs> and then <laughs> and then when everything's gone to shit and everyone's just horrified, um, because Spock has Spock has basically almost choked Jim to death in front of his own dad. Um, Scotty's <laughs> just like. This is great! <laughs> I love this ship. It's I exciting, you know. <laughs> Can I get a towel? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I yeah, love Scotty. Oh, I mean, Simon wonderful Pegg knows comic what he's doing. Simon, like, he, like, he's, yeah. he's, I mean, he knows what he's doing in many regards because he, he will later go on to direct um, some of the future films and do, yeah. Beyond, do a... Right? Do a mm. Do a fantastic job of it. Um, yeah, I have a question about that because I noticed at the end that Simon Pegg was actually first billed in the closing credits. Um, I guess was he? Because I'm trying to think back to to when this film came out. Like, I guess we knew Zachary Quinto from Heroes, Chris Pine really only from Princess Diaries two, somewhat irrelevant <laughs> really, um, and that comedy with Lindsay Lohan from when we were kids. But like, was Simon Pegg the most famous? member of the cast like why is he well, first built no. I mean Carl Lennon Irving Nimoy. was in Lord of the Rings well yeah but other than Leonard Nimoy maybe um uh, it, did they get point. did they have any opening billing because no 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 I, I don't think so I wondered if it's because he had some kind of like production role in the film that I didn't know about because obviously he did go on to direct beyond yeah um, and he's made a, script, by this beyond. point he's yeah. he's helped to He's been behind the production of several of his comedy and other projects with mm, yeah. um, his his um, team, so to speak. Yeah. But he he he's got like I'm gonna Google it just to check before. I mean, I yeah. he was like myself, famous, obviously, as a British. Has a lot of production credits. Um, yeah. Behind. I just found it interesting because, like, obviously, he was you know a household name in Britain, but I didn't know if that was something that would translate to a to a sort of Hollywood audience, so I just thought it was interesting well, that he was then billed before Pine and Quinto well, had, at the end. 
he's in um, he's in the Mission Impossible films as well, but I don't know whether that was before or after this. I, I don't it's know not, when they started. It's not listed as any kind of like the Wikipedia page has a section of notes that talk about his co-written and his hmm. like executive production roles. Um, and um, aside from the comedy films that he co-wrote, there's not much there and there's nothing for Star Trek until um, beyond where he's listed as a co-writer so I don't think, so I don't know who Maybe J.J. Abrams just liked him so he's like yeah, yeah. First. You're, you're, you were funny, you were brought some some excellent uh, comic relief to the film um, yeah, yeah I, I, he, he does a wonderful turn as Scotty he's just so irrever- irreverent one of my favourite moments um, is when <laughs> Spock and Uhura are kissing on the transporter pad and Jim just looks over with this look of like oh my god they're like a couple and then it cuts to Scotty and Scotty's face is just the face of what the fuck (laughs) is happening (laughs) what the fuck is going on (laughs) which I I find um... offensive I don't understand why all of these other men don't understand why the hottest women on the ship wouldn't want to be with Spock because to me (laughs) as a woman it's pretty obvious (laughs) (laughs) Well, and the thing I like about it in Kelvin depiction is that I think the Scotty you see in the original series, definitely in the original series film, is the experienced older soul. Because being a chief engineer seems to be a slightly, like, it's a job that demands a great deal of technical expertise, if nothing else. Mm. Um, So, like... I mean, I don't know what age he's supposed to be in the original series, but he's always struck me as a slightly older than the main cast. And I think he still is here. Um, mm. But it's just that everyone is younger, so you get to see what a slightly younger Scotty is like. Um, and I think that's interesting. Like, Yeah, the other difference in this version to the original series version of Scotty is that this version of Scotty has a Scottish accent. <laughs> I, uh, I, my favourite thing that Scotty does in this uh, f- film is when they first beam back onto the uh, the Enterprise, and Scotty accidentally beams himself into that water tank thing, and then finds himself in the coolest water park in the galaxy. Like, <laughs> it's actually just yeah, a looks, brewery, isn't it? <laughs> it looks so much fun, though. He's like shooting around all these tubes yeah, full of water yeah, and stuff, yeah. and like I want to do that. I want to have a go at that. That is actually one thing. I don't know if I said this last time, but like it's one thing I don't like about the Kelvin aesthetic. Well, generally, I quite like the Kelvin aesthetic. I think it looks different enough, while still updated and cool and interesting, mm-hmm. to be to be like a, a reasonable adaption and different. You like, you know, I, it, it looks fine. But the engineering sections you see in the Kelvin verse. <laughs> Really, really? Are just a brewery. Because they just like... <laughs> they, they are a brewery. They look like... Yeah. Or like some kind of warehouse. Like, <laughs> at the time this film came out, or like not long after this film came out, uh, I was working at te- uh, like pretty large Tesco that had a large warehouse like backspace in it. And every time I was in that warehouse, I wasn't like, oh my God, I've been engineering. But I was always like... Man, this this shitty ass place looks like the engineering center. <laughs> Man, that must be a shit place to work. Yeah. I think it looks a bit like um, it looks a bit like Sector Seven G of the uh, of the Springfield nuclear power plant. Yeah, Homer Simpson works. It's just at. got this slightly shitty industrialness about it, which I don't 
really feel fits with the rest of the ship. Like, mm. Yeah, it, yeah. And I think a big part of that is that it, it looks like a massive open room, not a like place on a starship. Like, yeah. I know starships are big. Um, like, especially when you get to Next Generation, the Enterprise D is fucking huge. But, like, it still feels like they should have compartments and lots of rooms rather than big open spaces like that. And it yeah. just... I don't know. It fe- and then I get to the question of, like, your engineering section should be... It's going to be big because it's got big machines in it, but it should be compact because when something gets damaged, you want to be able to repair multiple and access multiple controls like thingy in that one i can imagine that it's like oh no something's damaged we have to close off something here and then run along a gangplank miles <laughs> well exactly <laughs> like in into darkness when they're inside the admiral ship and then scotty's got to open them doors so that kirk can like fly through yeah. and he, he's like hang on a minute <laughs> and he has to like run the entire yeah. length of that <laughs> massive massive corridor to try and get to the hatch and he's like oh captain it's very wee I think um, like that bit where so there's a bit in the film where they've just gotten out of the water park part and they're walking along a gangway between some sort of big vat things that look like the things that Jack Nicholson falls into. I'm telling you it's a brewery I'm not just Uh, making that up, like it was filmed in a brewery, (laughs) those are brewing vats Oh right I'm I'm not just saying that, they're making like Marmite in there or some shit, I don't know (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it does look like that it looks looks like the thing the Joker falls into Um, (laughs) Yeah, vat of acid or like the end of do you remember the the children's TV show from the nineties? Get your own back. That was hosted oh, by Dave Benson yes. Phillips. It, it's like the end of that, like yeah. the big fat of gunge that the that's going to drop on top of Richard Hammond in the like you <laughs> yeah. know 2010s remake. But then they get um, they get uh, surrounded by red shirts with uh, phasers set on. Josh, yeah, security uh, officer. And then, yeah, because <laughs> they attempt to do a callback to a thing that happens earlier in the film. where You're it, coming with me! He's the one, cupcake! Cupcake! Yeah, he just calls him Cupcake. And it's I realised afterwards it's meant to be a callback to something that Kirk says in the original fight that he has with him mm-hmm. earlier yeah. on. Yeah. But I, I, that it was such a throwaway line in the original fight, it didn't seem like it was a thing, so I'd forgotten that that had happened. Uh, and so it just seemed like a really weird energy that this guy had. Like... <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! I, like I remember that fight, like because that line always stuck out in my head when he like pats him on the shoulder and he's like, "Oh well, you know." You know he's like, "There's one of us. There's four of us and one of you. I will get some more guys, and it'll be an even fight." And he like pats him on the cheek and calls him cupcake or something. But um, yeah, if you didn't have that line in, and then this random angry security officer <laughs> is like calling you cupcake. It's like, oh, that's a really strange sort of angry term of endearment, but like, yeah, <laughs> what, a bit inappropriate. And like, yeah, speaking of inappropriate, well, maybe maybe Star Trek men are more secure with their masculinity, so even a burly security guard can go around calling people in human <laughs> terms and not feel that it undermines his authority. In any way. I would not maybe say that, that Jim re- from the first two thirds of this film is a man that's secure in his masculinity by yeah. a long fucking country mile. <laughs> Maybe we could uh, make that headcanon for this episode. Is that uh, that cupcake is like a really manly, like, <laughs> aggressive phrase in the Kelvin verse? <laughs> oh my god, he's such a cupcake! 
<laughs> it's like the equivalent. It, that's their C word. When people say, oh, you use the C word, they mean cupcake. <laughs> they mean cupcake. That's amazing. Speaking of like completely inappropriate things to call people, can we, this like, this is the one line that for me just it pulls me out of the film a little bit because it's so bonkers. When McCoy speaks to Spock on the bridge about how angry he is that Spock's like <laughs> catapulted Kirk down to Delta Baker and he's like, permission to speak freely, sir. Are you out of your Vulcan mind? And then he's like, we've got a saying back where I'm from, if you're going to ride in a Kentucky Derby, you don't leave your prize stallion in the stable. And then Spock gives the most threatening and bizarrely sexual response when he's like, it's a curious metaphor, Doctor, for a stallion must first be broken before it can reach its potential. What the fuck does that mean, Spock? It means you've got, what it means you've got to fuck mean? the horse. <laughs> 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 I mean, as much Why? as I enjoyed, are you out? I, mix, I, I enjoy the phrase, are you out of your Vulcan mind? Which is just, he that's a funny it up joke. It into darkness with, are you out of your corn fed mind? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, he's so good. Carl Urban is wonderful. Can I read out a poem that makes me really happy about bones? <laughs> that came out of absolutely nowhere, Maddie. <laughs> 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 this is in honour of Bones <laughs> Is this a poem you've written? No, it's not a poem that I've written It's a poem that um, we can thank a lady called Bev Also known as Trev Tracks on Tumblr um, Just, you know, okay. in honour of how Bones spends the first half of the film Going around hypoing Jim uh, To get him onto the Enterprise <clears throat> My name is Bones, and when it's day, I jab you with the hypospray. <laughs> Accept your fate, with joy I lurk, I vaccinate, I stab the Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> the Kirk? <laughs> oh, could, well, well done, thank you for, well, thank you yes. for that, Bev. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell! Uh, when, if, if someone uh, said to me, "What are you going to do this night? What, what's how do you how are you going to sell your podcast to me? I've never listened to it before." I'd be like, "Well, you know Star Trek and you know poems, right? <laughs> Put those together. If you like Star Trek and you like poems, this is the podcast for you." <laughs> no, that podcast should be called "In the Original Klingon." Um... <laughs> Can um, we talk about? Um... Were you going to say something? Oh yeah, sorry, Nathan. I, that was not. I finished talking. Okay. Fine. All right. Can we I talk, talk about the fight about... on the bridge then? Can we before we get to the fight on the bridge? Can we first talk a little bit more about okay. Jim meeting Spock Prime in the cave? Because I think that's such a cool moment where yes. Leonard Nimoy comes back, and I I just want to sort of touch on it properly before we move on to that awesome fight scene because it's just such a lovely moment, and I think really poignant when um, obviously. Spock has to mind meld with Jim to kind of explain to him where he's come from and and who he is. And I think that there's such a tenderness in the way that he plays Spock and also the obvious resonances but very deliberate differences with Zachary Quinto is a much more 
younger and uptight version of himself and how <laughs> older Spock is just completely <laughs> chill with absolutely fucking with everyone. <laughs> yeah. Like telling Jim that if he lets Spock know about him, like the universe is gonna end. <laughs> just you know. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, at the end he, when he's talking to Spock, when he's talking to himself and he then he admits that he just lied to the to Kirk. <laughs> it's like no, I didn't lie. I implied Fine. that there would be universe-ending consequences. Universe-ending paradoxes would occur. Spock lies all the fucking time. Like he does nothing but lie. And then, and then when people are like, "Stop being so emotional," he's like, "I'm not being emotional. I'm not. I'm not. It's not me. Definitely not me. Not me. No emotion over here." But yeah, I really like that. Old Spock is just totally fine with that now. Um, yeah, and my. F- um, I much prefer, after we get the fight scene, we start to get, and I think a lot of this is born out of meeting old Spock, we get Kirk and Spock working together, mm. which is, and I know it's because it's kind of pre-established, but it works so much better, because I never, like, it's not that the rivalry is underrated, like, is badly done per se, but I don't buy into the rivalry like I buy into them working together. Yeah. Partly because I know, well, this is Spock and Kirk. They're gonna end up working together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like I don't, I don't feel like. I mean, it comes into the kind of predestined stuff we were talking about, and how keeping all the people in the same places hinders this film in some ways. Is that? Like, their, their rivalry earlier on doesn't feel as organic as the teamwork. I mean, that fight scene on the bridge is fantastic. It still makes me question how the command chain can work <laughs> when they, they, like, Spock retires and Kirk is like, well, I guess this is my ship. <laughs> and, and then not only that, Kirk can keep it. Because I feel like if you have a regulation stay, stating that if the commanding officer is too compromised to continue the mission, he should stand down, that makes perfect sense. But I don't believe it should be like should resign from all <laughs> missions and all future yeah, missions. But also <laughs> command the starship again. Brackets, like, the uh, commander that was previously expunged from the ship for being out of control and trying to beat up the captain is suddenly like completely, you know, <laughs> his his criminal record is completely wiped. We just reinstate him with no questions yeah. asked and just make him the captain instead. There's no, yeah. there's no logic to that. At I all. mean, uh, at the very least, I kind of think. I mean, this is a thing we will probably come up against again and again in Star Trek. Is that I, I have heard it said in certain fan communities that like to analyze Star Trek even more than I do, um, uh, and I've got a podcast about it. So <laughs> imagine these people. Um, <laughs> but like that, Starfleet seems. To, <coughs> if you if you take a reading of Starfleet, they seem to reward um, people who be mavericks as long as they get success. There's lots of stories about people breaking with orders and following instincts. Even in even in Next Gen, I can think of like half a dozen. It happens in Deep Space Nine a lot. Um, it's, you know, a common thing across Star Trek. And if you, if something goes wrong, they punish you. But if something goes right, they stick a medal on you. And that rewards <laughs> the wrong sort of thinking. And all of the, like, role model captains are, like, people who have broken with regulations or have difficult relationships with the Admiralty and the top brass all the time. Do you think that's a function of just, that's part of our kind of America-centric Western individualist culture that we celebrate 
like across all of our films, we always celebrate, ooh, the Maverick, ooh, he's a bad guy, ooh, he's like, he's breaking the rules. Um, but yeah. then somehow pulls it off, you know, on a yeah. 0.007% chance, as Spock would say. And then and then we're like, oh, yes, clap, 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 well done. But we don't celebrate those characters that actually stick within the yeah, boundaries never, a bit more we never and make it the, work for themselves. Like, we never see the logical, what would happen in real organizations where if you broke the rules all the time is that <laughs> and got rewarded like you do in Starfleet is that cohesion and uh, structure would break down to the point it become, becomes unmanageable. Maybe like, something yeah. like your entire secondary fleet being wiped out over the surface of a single planet in a 10 minutes flat would happen. I don't know, maybe that scenario would occur if that's the kind of organisation you had. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what this is something that will come up time and time again, and I guess we should have talked about more in the last episode, but it's relevant here, because Nero's attacking Earth. Like, they know where the next target is. That's the centre heart of the Federation. And the fleet that they are massing will not get there in time. <laughs> so the Enterprise has to defend it. Why? Does like I have watched a lot of Star Trek where something comes to attack or impede Earth. Um, and only one of those stories can I think of a time when Earth seemed to have any kind of defense that wasn't <laughs> the ship that was the hero ship of the series that was watching. Why, in God's yeah. name, does San Francisco Bay not have, you know, like, anti-aircraft missiles that they can fire <laughs> at this one puny mining rig? You know, the whole of Earth is like, oh no, this enormous planet-sized mining vessel appears to only have one mining rig on the whole fucking ship, but we're doomed because we've got no way to get rid of it. I'm like, what, do you, what are you talking about? Just call the fucking RAF to blow it out <laughs> of the sky. Why do you you have to wait for the Enterprise. They have stuff like at Mars and Venus and all of the other things. I mean, in in Deep Space Nine, the bad guys managed to bomb Earth at one point. <laughs> like even even in this universe, like if 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 that if the if the the Narada turned up today in 2020 and sent that big. Uh, drill thing down into the earth at San Francisco. We'd have a pretty good go at it, wouldn't we? <laughs> yeah, we've got we've got missiles and stuff we could shoot at it now. Yeah, the Russians so have got in whales, years time, spy whales. The... the spy whales could, could <laughs> throw <laughs> sorry, them at it. Sorry, sorry, did you say spy whales? <laughs> yeah, you know like that beluga whale that turned up in Norway that was a Russian spy? What? <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you talking about? <laughs> A beluga whale turned up in Norway with like a GoPro strapped to its chest and like <laughs> people think it's and it was like trained to respond to humans and do tricks and stuff and it's a Russian spy. What were the Russians right. doing in Nor what do the Russians want with Norway? I don't think they could control the whale, Jay. <laughs> I think I think the whale swam to Norway, you know. Like, I don't think that <laughs> I tell you what, if, if if whales start turning up in Salisbury, we know that the Russians are involved. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the Russians, uh, there's a bit in the second half of this film where uh, Chekhov announces that he's only 17, 17 years old. sir! When he said yeah. that, I shouted fuck off at the top of the screen. <laughs> yeah, because he's not. Like, yeah, well, he can't no be. Way. The no, actor he, can't be. But, like, the actor was only like 21 at the time, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah, but that's a reasonable age for a cadet. <laughs> 17 is not. Yeah. And yeah. also, 
it upsets me that he has risen that far in his career by the age of 17. And I, I was watching this film because I didn't have a day job. And because I was... I'd slept in at half until half two in the afternoon, ordered a Nando's, and then I had a podcast recording in the afternoon. And that's what my life is like, and I'm 27. So. Oh, you can't hate on Pavel, though. He's just so gorgeous. He's honestly just a little angel. Um, he is very good, and yeah. it's really sad what happened to the actor, I know, obviously. really, really sad. But, like... That doesn't, that doesn't make sense, because, like, in-universe, they're only supposed to join the Academy at, like, 17, 18, so he's at best a first-year cadet, so should not be on the bridge, and should, like, and what is Starfleet doing when it when it then assigns him to the ship permanently? It's like, well, you've done a mission with fairly, that's fairly unique, but you're now qualified for all space exploration. <laughs> Speaking of people who shouldn't be on the bridge... Can we talk about why the CMO is on the goddamn bridge for the whole second half of this film? <laughs> yeah, because, because, <laughs> because he's he the doesn't... only one with the single singular brain cell that's shared by like <laughs> Jim Spock and McCoy. He's got custody, well, so he's got to bring it up there. Wasn't the wasn't the medical bay destroyed, and that's why, and the previous CMO got killed, and that's why he's now the CMO. But there were so yeah, many that... dying people down there, Jake, and he just left them. He just left. He just <laughs> left them. He just left. He was like, Christine, you deal with this shit. I'm up to the bridge, mate. I mean, he's on the he's he's on the bridge because uh, we need to see Carl Urban. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, obviously, but but um, like, I mean. I, I do want to talk about the fight scene on the bridge, though, between Jim and yeah, Spock. Yeah, that's what I was just about to bring up, yeah. Yeah, I feel like this is so a moment good. for me to bring back my inaugural iconic phrase, <laughs> choke me daddy Spock. I, as soon as it happened, I <laughs> wrote down, choke me daddy Spock. Uh, and, then and also, right, so the bit where Spock is choking Kirk... And no one oh. intervenes. No, no one intervenes. I know, but there's a, there's a shot that's like a continuous shot of Zach Quinto while he's choking Spock, looking all sort of like fierce from sort of below, yeah. and like and I was fully erect for that <laughs> entire scene. <laughs> that is the sexiest thing I've seen on any Star Trek ever. <laughs> Sexier than when Bev Crusher has sex with a ghost. It's. Um... <laughs> Jake, just to remind you that your therapist listens before you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh my okay, god! Fine. Good point. Look, um... <laughs> there, there is like one hundred percent without a singular doubt something incredibly sexy about watching Spock lose control of his emotions and then you know completely pummel Jim within an inch of his life. But <laughs> yeah. I wasn't expecting you to say the phrase "completely erect." <laughs> oh. Like it's just like I mean I would love to know who did the fight choreography for this film because it's really beautiful. It's really beautiful to watch the fight. Like I've I've got a background yeah. for for people who are listening. I've got a background in martial arts and in particular fencing and uh, and sword fighting. And I did some uh, choreography of sword fights for some uh, theatre stuff uh, a while in another life. Cool. And uh, and watching the the stuff in in this film is really well done and really because it's like. You, especially in this fight scene where you see Spock fighting Kirk, because it's it's not like some cool stylized kind of uh, like Eastern martial arts thing, and it's not boxing. It's like it, it gives you this impression, the sort of fighting style that he's using, that it's some like special uh, Vulcan mm. type of martial arts that, yeah. that has developed yeah. 
specifically by Vulcans, and and I really like that. It's a really it, nice it touch that they've included. Because my martial art of choice is judo. It's called Susmana, the Vulcan martial arts. I don't know if that's specifically what. Yeah, he's what he's using. It reminds oh, okay. me of it, the the way I always think of it is um, it looks like judo if judo had stripes in it. Mm. Yes, yeah, no, you, yeah, yeah. But like, because it, it's very deliberate um, movements and a lot of redirecting force and and applying force in specific places, but with stripes, which judo doesn't have. Very logical. It's a lot closer to jujitsu, which I guess is judo with striking. So that was the first yeah. thing to have said. But <laughs> you get my point. But and also, uh, later on, another fight, the fight, the gun fight, I really yes. like. So when they land and they steal the jellyfish, they have a brief gun battle through the uh, Narada. And I really appreciate that because firefights in films are, I think, in general, notoriously bad. <laughs> because there's like, shot, jump cut, jump cut, shot, jump cut. And you've no idea who is shooting what or who or where. Yeah. Like, you never, you never see who hits what with what. It's just like, oh, some someone fired a gun, and now someone somewhere over there, and I don't know how, what range they're shooting, or whatever, is now dead. Uh, whereas this had a really nice flowing pace for it. You can yeah. see who was firing what at who, how the heroes were doing, and I think an important um, like thing to make a good fight scene is a context of the fight. What. Because a fight only should only happen when party A wants to achieve something that party B is stopping through violence. Mm-hmm. Like that is that is why a conflict should arrive, and this film does a lot of like good work in it in its uh, <clears throat> fight scene. I I, I really yeah. Agree. And those two were such good two to to raise in complement of each other, Nathan, because. In obviously in in the fight where Spock is, you know, he's like he's Jim's enemy. He's attacking Jim at one point. He's he's actually trying to kill Jim. He's completely lost control of himself. But then in that fight scene with the when they are fighting it, firing at Nero's men, like you said, it's so smooth. You just see how they work together so beautifully. There's these like sweeping shots where you see them like running around a corner and you know, Spock just like naturally dropping in behind Jim to like to cover him and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um it's fantastic. And you just they they work together so well. And I completely um agree with what you say about as soon as they start working together as a pair, they just they they click like that. And from then on it's like wham bam thank you ma'am <laughs> Spock and Kirk saving the day. So it, yeah. yeah, they're they're beautiful together. They're just a fantastic um yeah team. Absolutely, and I think the um, I think historically fight scenes in Star Trek have been a little bit sort of rubbish. Yeah. Um, and and it's been difficult, and th- there's good examples of them spattered across the place, but sometimes they're not the most dynamic, and for various reasons. Um, the ship and I think, combat is nearly always better than any physical combat. That yeah, and and I think for a long time. Uh, that was sort of the thing that set Star Wars and Star Trek apart. Mm-hmm. And like, and people who liked Star Wars more tended to be because they liked the cool fight sequences yeah. and the sword fights and all that kind of thing. Uh, and I think that's what J.J. Abrams was trying to do with this 2008 Star Trek film is try and like 
put a bit more of that kind of dynamism into Star Trek to to be like to, to be able to say to people, no, look, Star Trek's not the weird nerdy one where they solve everything with diplomacy. It's just as cool and exciting as a sci-fi thing as Star Wars is. Well, he did but a damn with... good job because I just think that yeah, the fight scenes and just the way that the action flows in this movie is second to none. It's a fucking brilliant movie. Like whatever your opinions good, yeah. might be about it in terms of where it fits in the Star Trek universe just as a science fiction action film it's so good yeah definitely yeah and uh and i mean talking about that firefight with the phasers and everything i just wanted to talk briefly about the design of the phasers as well oh, this yeah, is getting into so super cool. nerdy territory but they're really cool looking sort of chrome quite small i think sometimes the phasers historically have been quite chunky and looked a bit silly <laughs> um, but these look quite sleek and interesting and then there's this action when you when they change the setting from stun to kill where it, it flips yes, and rather than just changing so cool. color there's like a, a whole mechanical sort of thing that like yeah it like flips around and uh, and it, like you can see that the people who've made that prop must have been like really intricate with what they've done and, and it's a really cool little detail for them to add in uh which i really appreciated watching it because it just made it feel like it was extra exciting like more, well yeah and it made it feel like it was a more realistic mm. weapon it wasn't just yeah. some magical gun that shoots yeah. lasers like it out with weight it. to it which is a thing that like particularly the like, I, I love TNG, but their faces do look like shaving razors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Electric. And, and, and they point them around as though there's no weight to them, and the beams don't look like they have any impact. It felt like that that was a weapon with some size and some weight and some effort. Yes, to, definitely. Yeah. To it, which, is, which is nice. Um, Speaking of that fight scene, can we talk about the health and safety disaster waiting to happen that is the interior of the Narada? Why yes, does a mining vessel well. have so many exposed walkways with just caverns in the middle to push yeah. unsuspecting Romulans into? Do they just not care about safety rails? <laughs> There's just loads of like walk- walkways with nothing to protect you from falling <laughs> off the sides of them. It's like that bit in Star Wars where they're standing next to that uh, thing in the Death Star and there's just no rail uh, and then yes, a giant plummeting yeah. drop behind it. It's the same here. Why have they, why have they built it It's like literally no only need. there so that Eric Banner can do that sexy jump where his coat like <laughs> yeah. billows behind him. I'm like, is this, have you just created an obstacle sh- course in your ship yeah. for shits and gigs? Like, do you not it's do like, any actual mining in here? <laughs> it's like, just have a lift, mate. Just, <laughs> just, just get a fucking lift. Just build a lift. <laughs> Or, or some stairs, or a fireman's pole, or something. Because <laughs> like, what, what if you've got like a slightly less able jumper on your team? Like, what if one of the crew can't jump that far, and he and he has to get, you know, that's where his workstation is. But he had to go and get coffee from around the corner, and to get back to his workstation. That's a good point. How do you get from the lower the lower one to the higher one? Every like, time Gaza comes down, back to his desk, he like crashes to the floor. <laughs> he's he's gone to get his coffee and then he tries to jump down to get back to the workstation again. And then in the jump, he spills all the coffee all over him. <laughs> it's just terribly designed. He needs to get Trini and Susanna in. He needs to. Oh what, my what, God. what they need is that we, I want. Right. This is <laughs> this is what I want now. I want. I want the Narada to get queer eyed, right? I want, <laughs> I want I want Tan France to go into the Narada and sort out their uniforms. Although to be fair, the uniforms I think Tan would quite like the, the Romulan uniforms in this. Although there is one guy who's got who's got a sleeveless top on, like Mac from the uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and he looks like some weird. He looks like the weird bad guy in Karate Kid One. But, um, <laughs> 
but yeah, then they, they need some inter- interior decorating doing. They need that would be Bobby, you know, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be Tan France. Yeah, Tan yes, would give yeah, them the seal Bobby. of approval. You know, um, Jonathan would just be at a total loss because there's no hair for him to groom. Everyone's bald as shit. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> but Bobby would be like, "This is a fucking disaster." Yeah. <laughs> and then Caramo would be t- like, "Nero, you just need to let go of your anger towards Spock. <laughs> you need to let it go. It's holding you back." Just uh, that's um, the worst bit is the the interior. Just like buy some scatter cushions. Throw... <laughs> it's really dark. Put a put a lamp in it. <laughs> Before we get off the Narada stuff, though, yeah. One thing that like when when Nero's got Kirk, he says, "I know your face from Earth's oh, history." Yes, uh, and I kind of wonder. Um, this made me think, because he says Earth history, and, like, Nero and his gang are from, like, you know, a long time in the future, where, like, we've had, you know, all the other heroes of Star Trek we've seen, like, Picard and stuff. Mm. It kind of makes me wonder, do other Federation planets have, like, their own individual heroes? Because he, he doesn't say, like, Federation or Starfleet history, he says Earth history, so is it, like... Kirk is based like we we like Kirk and Picard because we see it all from an Earth perspective. But like on Andor, is there some like famous Andorian captain that they're like? <laughs> I assume it's <laughs> yeah. just what they did in you know in Year Six Romulan history class, History One Hundred One, when they're learning about all the different plant major planets in the galaxy, and they have to like memorize three important political figures. There's like Henry the Eighth, <laughs> Jim Kirk, Hitler. this this brings up a point that i have right about sci-fi in general right which is that why do aliens in sci-fi always refer to humans as earthlings but then they never refer to like a giraffe as an earthling like Mm, all animals are earthlings surely also i want to know why he even like recognized him because i thought it would just make more sense if you just like "Mm, all humans look the fucking same (laughs) Well, hang, yeah. on. hang on. Well, one, right, I have many things to say. <laughs> uh, one, buddy, racist. Uh, <laughs> two, yeah. um, two, how many sci fi shows have you seen where an alien sees both a giraffe and a human <laughs> to know that he does not refer to a giraffe as an earthling? <laughs> what show? Because whatever sci fi show you are watching in which a giraffe and a human and an alien interact, I want to see it. <laughs> Because that sound show sounds kick-ass. And as we know, like um, aliens in Star Trek do have contact with other Earth species because there is this film that revolves around the whale probe. <laughs> is is that is that whale probe? Does that whale probe work for the Russian government? <laughs> <laughs> Got something else I'd like to say about Old Spock and um, his interactions with Jim, and then how that kind of changes the course of the film and Jim and Spock's relationship. Um, I think it's really interesting to to think about what kind of memories um, Spock gave to Jim in that mind meld. Because um, I've read a lot of fan fiction where sort of Jim has like lingering after effects from that, either of sort of experiencing memories of Kirk Prime and Spock sort of messing with his own head, um, but also, you know, great fan fiction trope you know, what if Kirk saw in Spock's mind that he and Spock in this alternate universe were together? <gasps> Gasp! 
And then even better, um, in one of my one of my favorite fanfiction tropes is where um, Spock Quinto Spock discovers that old Spock has mind melded with Jim, and he's like absolutely fucking fuming because. Like, Jim's got no idea what that means. Like, he's got no idea what the emotional significance of having a mind well with a Vulcan is. It's like, imagine if someone just kicked down your door, like, had sex with you and left, but you are, just are you got claiming no that Spock, Are you claiming that old Spock mind-raped Chris Pine's character? No, no, no. It definitely wasn't a rape. I didn't want to make it, like, bad, Jake. No, it definitely wasn't a rape. Because Spock gets affirmative consent. Yeah, like it's consent. I'm saying it's consensual. It's fully consensual. It's just that culturally, Jim has no idea what the emotional significance of that would potentially be to another Vulcan. Like, because for Mm. Vulcans, that's some pretty intense shit, right? You know, like holding hands is like porn by Vulcan standards. So (laughs) Jim's very happy to do it, obviously, but. Like, I, I just love thinking about the, what the consequences would be of other Vulcans and finding out that's happened. It's like it's been... <laughs> can, I, can I talk about the, um, uh, the jellyfish uh, for a, yes, a brief period? Yes, because I've got some Yay, the jellyfish ship! So, so for listeners who don't know, that's the, the ship that Spock comes through the wormhole in, uh, Ambassador Spock, old Spock, um, and it it has the red matter in it which is the sort of big weapon that the they want to use to destroy planets and they when after they've killed some romulans when they've gotten onto the narada they steal the ship and spock flies it out quinto spock flies it away and it goes and some plot happens but my favorite bit about that sequence is the bit where um spock and uh and kirk find out that it's actually Spock's ship and uh, Spock re- realises yes. that, that other Spock exists um, and then Chris Pine's just like, don't worry, the plan will work <laughs> Bye, have, have fun and then, uh, and then Quinto Spock sits down in the chair and then the chair starts to spin around and then he just goes, fascinating and you're like after everything you've seen yes. today, you've seen an, an entire planet explode. You're finding a spinny chair, the most fascinating thing. That's that's the thing that you, you can't grab your head around. You, you're, I, I, you're the number one so science confused. officer on an industrial level spaceship. You just found out that there's a multiverse a visitor chair. from the future in and a ship that was like made by an alternate future version of yourself. And then when you get in the swivel yeah. chair, that's when you're like, God damn. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's like getting promoted. Like that's like working in the mail room of a ma- of a massive multinational company, then getting promoted to being CEO after your first day, sitting down in your office chair, and then going. <laughs> but that is what you do. Like, when, if I ever become CEO of a company, I'm going to spin around in an office chair and go. Wee. So we I say mean, that yeah, fascinating yeah, is just Spock's way of saying. Wee. <laughs> yeah, this I is so, so fun. <laughs> Do you think? Do you, um, do you think that's what he Richard says when he has a mind meld, or when he when he ejaculates in the Sonic Show? And he, he just shouts, <laughs> "Fascinating!" Oh, <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong with you two today? Matthew, hey, don't drag me into this, Nathan. I didn't try and make it all dirty. No, but you both don't show me Daddy Spock as normal, and then and then you've just you've gone like. Can I, can I read out a poem? <laughs> 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 like, you, you, you lost it. 
I mean, I I'm feel quite... like I feel like I've caught the coronavirus and I'm having a fever. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm I'm quite impressed that I managed to get from a slightly surreal tangent about spinny chairs to a comment about Vulcan sex habits. Um, I'm I mean, not surprised. <laughs> the uh, do, do do we have anything else that we want to talk about for the ending? Yeah, it, I just wanted to say that in that scene you were talking about, I love how douchey Kirk is when. when <laughs> the, so so Spock gets on board and he says, "I'm not sure we'll know something about like not showing how to control it or something." And the computer goes, "Voice pin recognized. Welcome back, Ambassador Spock." And um, Kirk goes, huh, "Wow, that's weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, you mega douche." <laughs> that's just his reaction to every awkward situation, though. That's exactly what he says to Gayla at the beginning of the film, where she's like, "I think I love you," <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, yeah. weird." <laughs> he's just like, uh, yeah. "Awkward situation. Gonna run away now." Bye. I've got something else I want to talk about that I think is really important. Um, I want to talk about how much I love Spock and Uhura together in this film and how okay. perfect I think they are for each other and how I am still scarred by the issue. fact that Nathan, sorry, Jake, you insulted this couple back in like episode four and I still haven't fucking forgotten it. <laughs> right, let's have it out right now, right here, right now. <laughs> I, I don't actually have a problem with it. I think I was probably being facetious for comic effect in that old episode, but... That is not a thing you're allowed to do, <laughs> How dare you? But, but that said, I, I don't see it as a thing. Like, Why? I, I, I also don't see her with Spock, uh, with uh, Kirk either. I think. Well, yeah, definitely that, like, that's never going to happen. Like, they're, well, yeah. no way. But, like, why don't you see her and Spock together? They're both, like, incredibly talented, capable, ambitious, but, like, quite logically yeah, but... driven people. They're perfect for each other. I think a more interesting dynamic would be if one of them was in love with the other and the other didn't reciprocate the feelings. And I feel like it would be more, that would be a more interesting story. Oh. And they've just, in, in my mind, they've just sort of put them together because they wanted to go, oh, that'll be a, that'll be a weird thing that the, they won't expect. And we'll put, we'll put Spock in a relationship with Uhura and all the fanboys will hate it. And yeah, I think whatever. that's actually quite a brave decision. And I think it is especially, I think, a, a clever decision that they've put a romance in there that's A, an established romance, which is not something films or mm. media in general likes to do mm. is establish pre-established romance but then b it's with spock it's not with kirk um and kirk's character arc is like 100 percent about um overcoming some elements of his own insecurity and toxic masculinity and you know bringing out the better more empathetic but also more kind of thoughtful sides of his character um and like I'm becoming not. a leader and then, but then yeah. you, you still have this romantic element to the film, but it's 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 in a different dimension. I really like that. As for my opinion about Kirk Uhura, I think I just aren't bothered. Like, mm. I, 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 I'm not that interested in their romance plot hugely. Uh, but that doesn't mean to say I dislike it. I'm just like, I, I, I'm like, okay, that that is in the film. It's. It's fine. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not invested in it in or in it either way. I do, though, happen to know that before the original series got cancelled, uh, the writers were planning 
and they kept hints of this in in the films, but never really made it explicit of having uh, Scotty and her be a couple. Yeah, and that I was just don't see as much. I was going to say I would love that to have happened in this film. That's what I wanted. In, to in this film, that would be totally wrong. Like in TOS, I can see that Uhura and Scotty are a little bit more compatible. But in this in this film, if I'm just thinking that I'm like I'm sorry, but there is no man on that ship that is Uhura's equal other than Spock. Like, yeah. Okay. Just, no, sorry. Like, obviously, you know, these are all incredibly intelligent and capable human beings, but emotionally, they're all fucking disasters. I mean, I mean, so <laughs> Spock, but like, he hides it better than the others. <laughs> we didn't hide it that well. He <laughs> kills Kirk on yeah, the bridge. He literally, in front it's of a plot point that he can't sort out his emotion. <laughs> <laughs> that backfired um, on me. But anyway, I I love Spahura. I fully ship it. I've got a little. Uh, <laughs> I was, it's not another poem, is it? No, it's not a poem. It's just a list of uh, fanfic recommendations if you're into Spock and Uhura. So maybe I'll just put them on the Instagram and the Twitter later on. We uh, we, we need to uh, establish a headcanon for this episode. I've uh, got a few like extraneous like bits and bobs that might feed our imaginations for a headcanon. Um, okay, go so on then. So first of all, I, I think that, you know, after Sulu left the parking brake on... <laughs> Legend! Um, taxi. Like, just um, for the listeners, I would just like to point out that Maddie just did a dab when she said that. <laughs> uh, do don't you really like how when they pull up from the surface of Titan, <laughs> Sulu's like very deliberately put on the hazard lights. <laughs> he was so embarrassed about his previous poor driving skills that he's like boop. Boop. Just a little warning <laughs> to all the little, you know, spaceships that apparently hang around the moons of Saturn. Boop, boop. <laughs> I've got another couple of minor quibbles. Um, I want to know why, when they take off, um, when uh, when Scotty does the warp core ejection, why is it possible to eject the entire ship's warp core after pressing two buttons? That doesn't seem very <laughs> safe. I want to know yeah. who designed that program. I, I don't like that at all. I feel very uncomfortable all of a sudden. Um, and I also want to know when Kirk's like, do it, do it, do it! And then they like fly away on this bubble of warp explosion. Um, why is there no G G G effects? Like everyone's face should be going cheeks like, and that's absolutely that's be- nothing. That's, be- that's because of the inertial dampeners. Oh, But I also have a question. I have a question related to that though, because they've just ejected their warp cores. So when and, and because I know they're in a vacuum, but momentum w- will. P- die down as, as the yeah. they get further away from the explosion yeah. center so how do they then fly ah, to get back to nathan knows um chief engineer thomas here <laughs> warp core is only necessary for sustaining a warp bubble which is only necessary for faster than light travel for all sublight travel you can use impulse drive and ejecting the warp car has no effect on that Ejecting the warp cores will stop you being able to travel in a warp <laughs> bubble. It will, uh, and it will re- severely reduce the power and maneuverability of your ship. But if you just want to fly back to Earth at that distance, they can use the impulse drive. I it will be quite slow. But they can... I don't know why Jake's laughing. Like, I... oh, Nathan's such a noob. I knew that. No. Come on, that's basic fucking Star Trek engineering, I... you loser. No, I was just, I'm just laughing at how like. Nathan switched into a, like a different mode. To describe <laughs> that to me. We flicked like, a little switch on his shoulder, yeah. and he's like, "Boop, boop, boop!" Activate. 
we, we should probably get on to the most important question of every episode, which is which character in this film is most likely to have sucked their own cock. Uh, Jim Kirk before this film 100% has tried a lot. My theory is it's Keenzer. Keenzer! I love little Keenzer. I want to know what Keenzer and Spock Prime were doing on Delta Vega after Scotty and Kirk just abandoned them at that little Starfleet base. But there's also Keenzer discourse because he, like, after serving alongside Scotty for three ships, still doesn't three ships, three films, still doesn't get promoted um, above <laughs> the level of ensign. Whereas, like. Um, <laughs> various other characters that are brought in just immediately like hop up the command chain. This is speciesism against tiny, knobbly-faced Ewok tree well, people. I mean, that, I'm that's not, a bit I'm racist. Not, uh, I'm not going to defend the, the racial policies of the Federation, but I am going to say that we can't draw conclusions about them from how they promote people because, as we've seen in this film, the way you get promoted in Starfleet is total bullshit. Yeah, and also apparently, <laughs> like, if your superior officer just like gives up or can't be fucked anymore, because that's kind of the gist that I got from Pike at the end, where he's like, "You have been appointed to Admiral Pike as his relief on the Enterprise," and then he's like, "I relieve you, sir." And Pike's just like, yeah, "I am relieved." <laughs> <laughs> Pike, but that's one that is how um, ship, naval ships changed map. Yeah. Um, yeah. They do have that formal ceremony and they say, I believe you. But why did they give him the bloody ship after they were about because to kick him out of the academy? I don't academy. know why they gave Kirk the ship, but uh, Pike gets promoted. Pike is not an admiral at the start. No, no, I'm not worried so about Pike. I, I would also oh. would promote Pike to admiral. I'm just not sure I'd give Kirk the whole feckin' ship. After the rest of this te- the secondary fleet has been blown up. And then I'm like, you were about to kick this cadet out of the academy. Sure, he saved Earth, but like, what's that against some academic... <laughs> <laughs> like, cheating? I don't know. I Yeah, I don't think it's very realistic that after witnessing this genocide, they would all just merrily hop off on their <laughs> five-year mission or whatever. Like, we don't need any counselling. <laughs> we can just get back on board. Spock's happy as science officer. He's fine. He beat the shit out of me that one time, and now his emotions are cured. Let's go, guys. Now his emotions are cured. <laughs> you sound like a cyberman. <laughs> emotions are a thing that need to be cured. On that, do you think that Vulcans would support the invasion of the Cybermen across Earth to make humans more logical? <laughs> Good question. I would. I definitely watch that film. Sarek versus the Cybermen. I would. There, there's a crossover. There's a crossover comic um, where between Doctor Who and, and Star Trek. Is there? I would love uh, to read that. Picard meets the Fourth Doctor. Um, That's amazing. And then the Cybermen and the Borg team up, and they have to fight them. Together. That is so cool. I had no idea that that happened, and that makes me very happy. Yeah, I'll, I'll see if I can find <gasps> the Cyber Vulcans Tardis Wiki. It exists. <laughs> in an alternate timeline shown to Jean-Luc Picard by the 11th Doctor, Cybermen were converted from Vulcans that's amazing, that makes me really happy god, can you imagine how fucking annoying a Cyber Vulcan would be <laughs> <laughs> that is illogical, you will be deleted <laughs> well I suppose in in um, 
the when the, in New Who when they brought back the Cybermen originally oh. before they had guns they would delete people by sort of grabbing their necks yeah and oh, like electrocuting really cool, them which is sort it? of like the neck the Vulcan oh. nerve pinch oh, thing. Vulcan nerve pinch. Red shirts cannon. That's red shirt. <laughs> yes, 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 yeah. Nathan. That has to be red shirts cannon. That. Those versions of the Cybermen in Doctor Who, <laughs> uh, in, in New Who, that would delete people by grabbing their necks and are actually all Vulcan Cybermen who are doing the Vulcan nerve pinch to, to kill people. Yeah, that's amazing. I actually have a competing Red Shirts headcanon theory that I want to, like, maybe they could both be real. So okay. my theory is... That. I don't I... think that's how the rules work. <laughs> we've, done, we've done multiple ones per episode before. Go ahead. I was watching this with my boyfriend, Alex, and at the bit where Spock and Kirk go onto the Narada just by themselves, um, to take out Nero because you know why beam up loads of like um, red shirts who could help you when you could just take your entire command team off the ship and potentially <laughs> get them all killed at once um, and then Sulu is just left in charge and they're just like yeah and you, you know <laughs> um, if you don't hear from us within an hour fire on that ship with all you've got and Sulu's like sure whatevs and then Alex was like <laughs> What if that was Sulu's plan all along? <laughs> Just to become <laughs> captain. This is actually evil Sulu. <laughs> and he's like, yes, if Pike gets on the Narada and then Kirk yeah. and Spock get on the Narada, I will be captain in this chain of command. Sulu was working in league with Scotty because Scotty <laughs> says that he's going to beam them to a, an area where no one would be able to see them. But that he actually get beamed into yes. the middle of the ship so everyone can see them. I think Scotty's done that on yes. purpose to get and then them when, And then when um, Spock is like firing the jellyfish back in the Narada and they think he's going to die and suddenly the Enterprise comes out of nowhere and starts firing, Zulu <laughs> was also trying to fire a Spock. Yeah. <laughs> Zulu was trying to explode Kirk and Spock. It's I evil Zulu. I think this is I think this is Mira Sulu from Mira Mira. Why do you think he knew to leave the parking brake on? Yeah. Oh my god, that's a it, it all works. <laughs> it all, it all fits comes together. together. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag research Mira Sulu. <laughs> like this is the equivalent of flat earth. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> um I think that's us done then for this episode. Are we all are we all done with the with yeah. our first film? And for any final thoughts on the film as a whole, that would be a nice thing to just yeah. sure. wrap up. Yeah, I mean, um, I think it's obvious we all great. we all like it. Yeah, it's a really good film. It's film. especially if you've never seen any Star Trek before and you want an easy way to get into something in the Star Trek universe. Yeah. I think this is a really good starting point because it introduces you to characters that you've probably heard of before, uh, like, you know, Spock and Kirk and everyone. Everyone knows those names. You get to see them in a context that's not, like, super campy and boring and nothing happens in it, like, in the 60s. <gasps> How dare! <laughs> but, you know, it can be quite difficult to get into some of the older Star Trek if you've never seen it before and you're not interested in sci-fi or whatever. But I, yeah, I think it's a really good starting off point. I think, you know, the rest of the Kelvin verse are good as well. We can argue about which one's best on a different day. But um... yeah, 100%. It's a glorious film. I think if you if you're interested in the characters, um, I think this is a wonderful way to get to know Spock and Kirk and McCoy and Uhura. Um, if you don't like a hurry, you're fucking dead to me. Um, I just like <laughs> literally, I don't have any time for anyone who talks shit about AOS Ahura because she gets a lot of screen time. She carries the film. She saves the day. She's amazing. She's the boss. We love her. Um, yeah, this film is what got me into Star Trek. 
There's no way teenage me would have gone back and watched those old 1960s episodes and, and in any way enjoyed or appreciated them at all if I hadn't been riding on the crest of the excitement of loving this film and, and being introduced to the characters in a fun, modern way that allowed me to appreciate them while actually like having a good time. <laughs> like, like My love for this film is what then sustained me through the two and a half hours of boring our shite that is like the Star Trek the motion picture. <laughs> episode 20 i think is when we're going to deal with that one and yeah just cover it but i don't think we'll care yeah yeah i mean could we just skip it entirely and just go straight to search for spock and the voyage home and no, just we, you know we, look on this podcast we stick with star trek through thick <laughs> we, we, we we stick with the heights of episode like Dom. We even watched um, Enterprise, guys. We did that for you. We, we watch. We watch. We we watch the episodes where Beverly Crusher is an awesome commando against uh, against the uh, Cardassians. We also watch the episodes where she get she has sex with her <laughs> grandmother's ghost. Oh, we watch. We watch the episodes of Deep Space Nine where. Captain Sisko is forced to compromise his moral, and we also watch the episode where Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> <laughs> we 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 watch we watch the episode of Voyager with Tuvix in it, and we watch the episodes of Voyager that are good, and that is. As close to a mission statement as you can. <laughs> That's our five-year mission statement. Um, we watch we... this so you don't have to. <laughs> and speaking of what we're going to be watching, what are we doing next week? We're going to go back to uh, an episode from The Next Generation, uh, which I'm excited about. We're doing a data episode because we haven't looked at data in enough, nearly enough detail yet, and, uh, and everyone loves data. So we're going to do uh, Data's Day, uh, which I'm very excited about. It's a good episode. Um Thank you to my co-hosts, Maddie Churchhouse and Nathan Thomas. I'm Jake Donaldson. If you want to follow us on social media, you can get us at RedShirtsCast on Twitter and on Instagram, or you can email us at RedShirtsCast at gmail.com if you want to suggest an episode that you'd like us to watch in the future, or you've just got any comments about uh, us, or you want to tell us how me and Maddie are terrible people, you can do that as well. Uh, Stop dragging me down with you, Jake. I'm not the bad feminist. You are. Other than that, it's, uh, thank you to Ben Kavner who did, who did the music for this episode again uh, and we'll see you next week when we're looking at uh, the episode Data's Day from The Next Generation uh, so all that's left to say is live long and prosper and goodbye bye, bye. <laughs> yeah it was good I like that one